and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. Once again, this is Nick Cameron of Glacial Musical, and joining me is my co-host Duncan of Duncan Evans Music and Moonlow. How are you doing today? Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, not too bad at all today, Nick. Yeah, how are you doing? It's good. This is an early, uh, earlier recording for me, so I've got my, my big old cup of coffee. Hopefully I don't run out by the time we're done. Promises not made. But yeah. We are still dealing with aftermaths here in Missouri and in the United States. And personally, I am, I'll give you a new update on my vinyl issues. I am still waiting for a guy who, whom I tried to buy Iron Maiden's number of the beast from. Uh, it's been 10 days on Discogs and he has not answered. I've had to file a complaint. So I don't know what's happening. Oh, wow. That's no good. That's no good. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's still light over where you are. It's just getting dark over here in Leeds, UK. Um, so, yeah, I'm not waiting on any records at the moment, but I have just sent you some records actually in the post. So hopefully they'll get to you um, at some point. And I think we're going to do a future session where we uh, we chat about the records we've each sent each other. Correct. You are waiting because I sent mine to you on Saturday and. Your eyes are going to bug out when you see how much it costs to ship it, but don't worry. Ha, <laughs> right, okay. I was surprised, too. <laughs> yeah, I've sent yours the, the cheapest I could, which means it might take a few weeks, but we'll see. Hope you. In my experience, it actually doesn't take that long, but we shall see. We shall see. I was told mine should get to you in two weeks, so we'll see. Okay, okay, great. Time. Let us talk about what... We found recently, actually, I found this a number of years ago, and a bunch of KISS fans are pretty familiar with it. This is, uh, we're going to go back to 1979, and being as we did a Bob Kulik heavy episode a couple of weeks ago, it seems only fair now that we are going to get with his brother, Bruce. So this is a Bruce Kulik heavy episode. What are we talking about today? Yeah. Okay, so this is the debut album of a short-lived um, American rock band called Blackjack. Um, featuring, as well as Bruce Kulick, who you've just mentioned, with all his associations with Kiss and everything else, um, featuring Michael Bolton, before he was even called Michael Bolton. He was using his real name, Michael Bolton. And this is when he was, um, well, he wasn't as well known, but um, he, what he was known for a bit was more hard rock and heavy metal rather than the kind of uh, ballads that he uh, went on to be famous for in the 80s and 90s. So um, this is notable um, for the musicians that were a part of it. Um, it's not very easy to find. I know you've got it on vinyl and I have actually found that it is on YouTube. Um, it, I believe it's officially on YouTube as well, um, but it was difficult to find. It wasn't on YouTube a couple of months ago. Um, we were first going to listen to this. Um, sorry, Nick, I actually missed what you said there. Yeah, I just thought it was, it's worth mentioning because we tried to do an Instagram live of this one a couple of months ago and we just assumed it was on YouTube like everything is and it wasn't there. 
exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it is now, but yeah, it's not easy to find. And I believe that um, CD or vinyl copies are both very expensive. I think um, there's a CD copy, a Japanese issue going for about £104, which is something like $140. So not cheap, but um, if you like the sound of it from us talking about it today, you can find out, you can listen to it, sorry, you can find it on YouTube, which is good. I was surprised to see how expensive this has gotten. I picked up, and I, as I mentioned on my YouTube channel and all that kind of good stuff, I buy records at what's called in America antique malls. They're like thrift shops, but fancier. It's you buy mm-hmm. it's all in at a lot of the, the local antique malls you can find in St. Louis. I don't know what it's like everywhere else. Well, I, I mean, I do a little bit, but in you can find these great vinyl vendors. Like I got a copy of Roger Waters Radio Chaos for $15. Um, I got The Doors Waiting for the Sun, uh, 60s Pressing for $10. I got a copy of Aerosmith's Get Your Wings, an original pressing for $2. Wow. Because I, I, I know where to go. Then there was another one where there were no deals to be had, but there was good stuff to be had, where he would sell it just under like Discogs pricing or just over Discogs pricing. Totally worth it. But yeah. So I found this one at an antique mall, which I will. <laughs> like saying the names of them because i don't want anybody to know where i go because then it's over but there was an antique mall near my not not really all that near my house but near where i used to live in crestwood missouri called the general grant antique mall named after the famous civil war general and former president of the united states whose farm that he purchased in retirement was very near is very nearby as the crow flies to that area and I got this album, and it's not just a regular copy. I have a white label promo copy of, from 1979. This is I have one of the copies they sent wow. to the stations. I got it for ten dollars. Wow, that could be worth quite a lot, Nick, if it's in quite good condition. It's an amazing condition, and I felt like I got I was paying too much. Now when I see what the CDs cost, it's like oh my god. I don't know if I'm going to keep yeah. onto it. To be perfectly honest, this could, this could be in the high hundreds. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I'm just guessing, but I uh, for it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, definitely something to look for. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, what else do we need? Do we need to know anything else about the background? Um, a bit. There's a little bit. This album is Michael Bolton's third album. I assumed it was mm-hmm. the first. He did two solo albums before this as Michael Bulletin. Yeah. This came to be after the Meatloaf tour. The Kulik brothers, Bob and Bruce, played guitar for Meatloaf on the Bad Out of Hell tour from 1977 to 78. After that concluded, now those two were employees. They were not members of the band. They were not members of Meatloaf Incorporated. So after that tour, they were requested to do a show or two with Michael Bolton just to to back him up. And apparently that show went so well, they decided to form a band. And that was what they, they, that's what they created. They created, well, and both Kulik brothers were offered a position. Uh, Bob said no, Bruce said yes. 
and then they were quickly signed to Polydor labels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Label. So, and that's and then they went in as soon as they they formed the band. They basically got a record label that week. And went in to, start to record this thing, and yeah, I don't know how I would describe the genre of this of this album. It's definitely. It strikes me as a little bit disco-y, which, I mean, that's the culture of the time. So I can understand why there's going to be a little bit dancing. You know, this is when Studio 54 was in its highest swing mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, but it's... Yes. What do you think? What would you call it? I was going to say, to me, it's kind of... Um... I guess it's sort of AOR. I guess it's radio friend, kind of radio friendly, soft rock AOR. Um, that's probably what I'd go for. So I, I could see yeah. that easily. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's what I love about having this is I can tell people I've got a Michael Bolton album. Hmm. Is that surprises people? It's like, you know, you know, you, the old game, two truths and a lie. Well, I, I can always put in Michael Bolt. I own a Michael Bolton record on vinyl. Yeah, as, exactly. As truths and nobody will ever guess it. So, but I tell you, just 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 to, um, sorry to to interrupt that. The um, Wikipedia page for the band says genre hard rock and glam metal, and the Wikipedia for the album says genre hard rock. So, yeah, I'm not sure I'd quite agree that it's hard rock, but I guess yeah, maybe at the time. Um, uh, yeah, I guess for the time it was hardish rock, you know? It's not even as heavy as Pink Floyd, really. No, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I agree, really. So, yeah, I would call it soft rock. Yeah, um, I could see this being played on the soft rock, the AOR stations. But, yeah. you know, it is what it is. It's, it's not... It's an interesting album just for the fact that it existed because it's... What I like about this kind of stuff, finding these particular nuggets. Because Bruce Kulick became a well-known sideman. Michael Bolton became an out-and-out megastar. I mean, yes. In America, he became part of the pop culture lexicon. Yeah. You know, in the movie Office Space, they, they made a character named Michael Bolton who hated Michael Bolton, the singer. That was the joke. Hmm. Um, then in, I mean, just stuff like that. And that that's amazing to go back and to, to pull this, this album out that didn't do well. And basically before the album, the next album was even recorded, they decided they were, they were just going to finish out their contract and call it a day and not put any more money into it. And you can still find it if you really want to. There haven't been many CD reissues of it. I looked at it. There have been three CD issues of these albums. In 1990, they released a double pack. In 1996, in Japan, they released a double pack. In 06, they released a double pack. And in 2013, they released a double pack. So I don't even know if get just one of these albums on CD anywhere. Not unless you want to spend over a hundred pounds uh, and get that Japan uh, issue. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. You know, it's this is one of those things that for a long time was just completely lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
definitely obscure, especially considering how notable the uh, the characters are that actually played on it. Agreed. And the, the, the rhythm section, Jimmy Haslop, Sandy Gennaro, they also went on to pretty significant careers. Nothing like Michael Bolton, of course, but they they became staples in, you know, the hard rock sideman circuit. Black Oak yeah, they've, they've all got their own Wikipedia pages. Yeah, the the drummer um, Santo Michael Gennaro played with the Monkees, Pat Travers, Cindy Lauper, Joan Jett. So yeah, absolutely. I think Jimmy Haslett, the bass player, went on to do a jazz fusion band called the Yellow Jackets. So there we are. Yeah, these everybody. This is a super group before these guys were super. Yes, exactly, exactly which makes it an odd kind of thing. But if uh, I got nothing else to set this up, so if you're ready to, to dig into this one, I'm ready. Let's do this. Yes, absolutely. Whew. Okay. It starts off with Love Me Tonight. And to me, this is quintessential yacht rock. It, uh, but Michael Bolton, my God, can he sing? I'm not... Oh, yeah. What he's... I've put... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I know I've put the same thing. I've put great singing. That's exactly, I mean, that's what I get from this album. And I'll, I'll go into this a little bit more, but it, it almost seems more like a Michael Bolton album than anything else, just because his voice is so powerful and so big. Yeah, that, no, that makes sense. Yeah, and I've put, you know, it's a strong song. It's it's catchy AOR. It's very polished. The production is really nice. Um and it's it's radio friendly. It's like to me, this is radio friendly rock. This is like, um, you know, in a f rock that's kind of hard enough um, for you know people into heavy rock to still nod their heads to it, but it's soft enough that their uh, parents would probably still be quite happy for it to be on the radio in the background. It's that type of thing. It's definitely, it definitely threads the needle, where it's got enough dirt on it and it but it's clean enough at the same time and i also thought there was a great you know 70s guitar rock solo from bruce kulik on this one and for me being a fan of bruce kulik as he's gone on for with his work in kiss that is i i wanted this album to really feature a lot of his work because that's what i like yeah but it is what it is yeah for sure for sure oh. yeah man so i guess let's move on to the next one so we've got Heart of Stone. Got uh, it. And I should mention that none of the lyrics in this album are any good. It's all just late 70s, early 80s cocaine claptrap where... Yeah, it's all pretty, pretty um, trite, isn't it? It's all, it's all been... Cliche, it's all pretty cliched and been done a lot before. I couldn't actually access the lyrics myself. I couldn't read them, but obviously you can hear a lot of them. Yeah. So I've just yeah. had to judge it by that, but yeah. Mostly they're just writing lyrics. So that way Michael Bolton is singing words and not just sounds. That, that was, that, that's how I feel. Yeah. You know, Heart of Stone, it starts off with a nice funky guitar and bass and guitar and drum riff. And it that I thought that was cool. It's got a big disco-y chorus sound, so it's a little dancey. There's not a real good solo on this one, but there's all kinds of little licks all over it. And it 
this one was weird. It, it's it's kind of a strange song, but it was fun. And I mean, I, I guess that that's yeah. an overarching theme on this is the songs are fun. Yeah, totally. So I've put yeah again. The production's really nice. Is you've got congas in the background. You've got a kind of jazzy bass. So we're almost veering into uh, Santana territory. Not not uh, not full on, but we're just borrowing a little bit from from that type of uh, that type of production and style. Um, yeah, really catchy chorus, complete with like question and answer backing vocals. And the band are tight, man. You know, this is a really good band. These are good musicians. Um, and I also wrote as well that it, at this point, I realised who um, Michael Bolton and his singing was reminding me of, which is a guy called Roger Chapman, who sang in a group called Family. Um, who I don't I don't know if you know they're not that well known but they were they were from the late sixties early seventies they're a British band um, and yeah I don't know whether it was a direct influence on Michael Bolton but certainly his vocal style reminds me a lot on on this album in particular of Roger Chapman from Family and when I googled it there wasn't lo- there was someone else saying that as well on some forum or other so I'm not the only one to notice that yeah um, but yeah good song he always claimed people like Percy Sledge as as his influences which when you get a little farther down the road it's it, that's much more evident and yeah. you mentioned you know it's a great band it's worth mentioning that this band when they wrote and recorded this album within a week of forming. Did they write it within the week as well? Wow. It would have had to have been. I mean, it... I guess so, yeah. If they recorded it within a week of forming. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. should probably check that. Uh, it was released in June 18, 1979. And... Oh, it says formed in late 78. Here we go. Formed in late 78, but still, that's not very long, really, is it? A no. few months. And, yeah, it takes time. By the time you have to record it a few months in advance of releasing it. Probably. So, yeah, they, they probably was a matter of weeks that they wrote it in. Because it's there's only two songs on the whole album that aren't credited to the whole band. There's two Michael Bolton-only songs. I don't know how much music. Oh, yeah, that's very true. But... Yeah, they this was done very quickly. So if it's you know it was released in June '79, assume they were formed in December of '78. This thing would have been done being recorded in February. Yes. Hey, I'm just looking at the credits now, as on Wikipedia at least, and it says that there's two songs which are co-credited to Bob Kulick as well. Which oh. is interesting. I, didn't I don't know if that's what it says on your vinyl record or not, but that's what it says here. There's the track one and three co-credited to Bob Kulick as well. Uh-huh. Fair enough. Not surprising. Bob Kulick, God rest him, was, for lack of a better term, just a gadfly. If you look at where he's been and who he's been with, he's never been much of like a solid member of any bands. He was, you know, Kiss's fifth member, their their relief pitcher, as it were, in terms of guitar. And he was, you know, sideman for Meatloaf. He also did a tour of Duty with Wasp, turned in the Crimson Idol. Hang on one second here. 
So, uh, sorry, there was a phone call there. Uh, wife did not realize that now was not a good time to call, but that happens. So we were talking about Bob Kulik and Bob Kulik is just Crimson Idol. That's where I was, Crimson Idol. He was on Wasps of the Crimson Idol, which I'm not a Wasp fan by any stretch of the imagination, but that is an album where he did all of the guitars to the tour. And it's considered by a lot of people that I know to be a classic Wasp album. So when you look at him, he's done, you know, Meatloaf, he's done Bob Kulik, he's done Kiss, he's done Wasp. He does all kinds of tribute records. He, I believe he won a Grammy. He is just, it's not surprising that his hands are on this too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. So we were just talking about the, uh, the, the credits there and who did what. And, um, so where are we in the sequence of tracks? Let's just have a look. Yeah, so, we, so we're on um, track two. So we, I guess we've talked about track two, Heart of Stone. Um, yeah, and the band. So let's move on, I guess, to track three, which is The Night Has Me Calling For You. Oh, God. I'm sorry. The, the titles and the lyrics of this. And I, we've mentioned it. I should move on, but I'm stuck on this. The night has me calling to you. There's a couple of the songs where the choruses are just the title repeated 30 times. That's really irritating. But this is another one of those songs, as we talked about, that Bob Kulik had a co-write on. So and it's, you know, it's got a nice rhythm guitar to it, or not, I'm sorry, a nice lead guitar intro. The rhythm guitar has a nice little stutter, which that's only in this song. So when you point out that Bob had a couple co-writes, this is one of them, and it sounds different than some of the other songs. So I can see yeah. that, because Bob was always, and you know, this might be sacrilege or talking out of school to say, but Bob was always the more accomplished guitarist and, and writer than Bruce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this has a bit- Sure, sure. So that's nice. What did you think of this one? Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, look, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bit of a rock ballad in a way, um, and I've put it. It would work well at the end of a feel-good movie. It's kind of that romantic feel-good movie, you know. Um, things have gone wrong, and then it all makes up, and everyone lives happily ever after at the end. Um, that's what it felt like for me. Um, and I, yeah, and I noted that there's harmony guitars as well. So I don't know whether that, I presume that's just Bruce overdubbing himself um, doing two tracks, but that was that was quite cool. You know, that classic kind of twin guitar sound that I guess you get in bands like um, Thin Lizzy and um, what's the other one, Wishbone Ash. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's... Yeah, it's a bit cheesy for my taste, really, but it's well done. Um, it would work great in a film like that. I think it's uh, it's a well put together song. Like I think basically all of them are, to be honest. So, yeah, and it's not fair of me and to go on about the the awfulness of the lyrics and that kind of thing because it's it's just very much of its time. You know the the late 70s was not a socially conscious time by any stretch of the imagination. They had just come out of the oil crisis. And I think that's a big part of why disco, you know, they had gotten come out of Watergate, come out of jail Ford, come out of the oil crisis. The late 70s in America, I think, was just a very relieved time where people 
weren't caring so much about except for the punk rock movement there was not a whole lot of socially conscious art in any stretch of the imagination you know you look at the bands that were huge at that time apart from pink floyd you have led zeppelin who led zeppelin has many things but i would except for a couple of songs here and there I wouldn't call them socially conscious by any stretch. And the no, not not really, no, and not and not great lyrics. To be absolutely honest, I've never. I really do like Led Zeppelin, but I don't think the lyrics are great. Um, yeah. About that. No, I, I agree with that. And so it's not fair to go on about this just be, because it it is what it is. At that time, I think everybody was just so relieved that everything is over. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think around that time you could get away with having these lyrics that just weren't anything. They were just a whole lot of hot air, you know, just sort of uh, platitudinal, trite, um, say, you know, uh, cliched statements about love and whatever. And that was fine. You could get away with it. I think now you can't get away with it so much. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's of its time, so we, we'll we'll um, we'll let that slip. Um, yeah, okay. Look, should we move on then to the next one, track four, which is Southern Ballad? I mean, it's a strange name, that really. Um, it is a ballad. It's a bit softer. It's it's less rocky. Um, definitely soft rock at, at most. Um, and a bit in maybe an Elton John kind of vein, um, but it's strong. It's it's a good, well-written ballad. Um, you know, it yeah, it's a good song. This to me is the kind of song that Leonard Skinner would sing when they were too hungover to sing "Sweet Home Alabama." Yeah, I guess it has got a bit of that southern rock thing going on, and that actually becomes a feature in on a couple of the uh, the next few tracks as we move on. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think you've got a bit of like Hammond organ and things like that that gives it that uh, I love sort it. of dried feel. Yes, love the Hammond organ accents all over this album, but it's yeah. noticeable in this song. Yeah, I wonder who plays that. So, because there's not actually anybody, no member of the band is a keyboard player. And when you look at the lineup, it doesn't actually, uh, doesn't actually. Oh, here we go. No, there's additional, yeah. additional personnel. Yeah, so it's someone called Jan, Jan Mullaney or Jan Mullaney. So there we go. Yeah. Okay. This one. Cool. I, I know. Did you notice that all the vibrato that he was doing on this one in his voice, which he's not quite good at yet. Yeah. yeah, and that that's a big part of when of, of, of where he reminds me of Roger Chapman because Roger Chapman from Family has a very distinctive and slightly weird vibrato. Mm. Um, it's an it's an unusual type of vibrato that takes some getting used to, and it really feels like um, Michael Bolton's doing the same type of thing here, almost a slightly stuttery vibrato. So yeah, yeah. I also couldn't tell if he was dumping the girl or the girl was dumping him. Oh, I've no idea. I kind of zoned out from the lyrics at this point. And like I say, I couldn't actually find them written down anywhere, which tells its own story. That's how that's how unrecognized this album is. The lyrics aren't even on the lyric sites. I so I, they're not in the they're not in. The oh, you did find. I found them, but I had to Google each song. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 It wasn't okay. just bring up the lyrics. I had to Google each song to find them. And I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know how faithful they were. They seem pretty faithful though. So I'll, I'll go with it. But. Yeah. Cool. Are, let's see. One, two, three, four. I believe we're about to, is that right? I think we're hitting side two now. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I've had it on YouTube, so I'm not sure. But yeah, this is track five, and this is called Fallen. Um, this one, very Southern rock. Yes, this one follows Southern ballad perfectly. You know, the hangovers, the Skinner hangover has lifted, and they're ready to do to, to boogie down, and that's what we get on this one. This is very Leonard Skinner, very Molly Hatchet. It's yeah. a little yacht rockish, but still rockish. So, which I thought yeah. was a nice little change of pace. Yeah, you see, you get these twin guitar harmonies again, but they're but they're like the Leonard Skinner twin guitar harmonies that, that you get. So yeah, and and that bluesy kind of swagger, um, a bit of a bit of a country influence. I thought the chorus was quite reminiscent of Queen. You've got these big lush vocal harmonies, several backing singers, um, and you've got, you've got this radio friendly kind of catchy lush vocal harmony embellished rock chorus which reminded me of queen but yeah you know again it's a good song it's well put together well produced well written it works you know thing about this album is i don't think there are any low points on it and i don't think there's any song that sounds rushed it all sounds like it was put it's i mean it it wasn't as far as I know, because I mean, I don't think Polydor had that kind of money anyway, but it sounds like it was put together by polished songwriters. And we're looking at a group of people yeah. who aren't that. This is a very yeah. Bruce Kulick. This is a very young Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton wouldn't get famous, like legitimately famous for another 15 years. And then strangely, yeah. enough, when he, did, he got famous doing covers. Hang on, 15 years? No, 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 not quite 15 years. Five five years or so, surely. The... So this is 79. What? I thought he got huge in, like, early 90s. Oh, mate, to be fair, to be fair, maybe so. I was kind of going, um, I was going late 80s, or sort of mid to late 80s. But, yeah, no, no, to be fair, um, you're probably right. It probably was more than 90. So, yeah, at least, yeah, at least 10 years. At least 10 years before he probably really hit 90s big time. Is when he achieved his greatest success. He also co-wrote... He became a songwriter not long after this. Yeah. He wrote... He co-wrote How Am I Supposed to Live Without You for Laura Branigan. And I'm just going to mention Laura Branigan because the blues theme song of the year they won the Stanley Cup was Laura Brannigan's Gloria. <laughs> right, right. So that's a nice, nice tie-in for me anyway. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is, it's interesting. This is the minor leagues for these guys. This is mm. watching, uh, well, we'll get to that later, but it's, it's a really good picture because there's, I'm sorry, I'm summing up and we're not ready to sum up yet. Uh, moving <laughs> on to Without Your Love. Yeah, so th this was very feel-good, I've put. A very feel-good sort of vibe. 
Um, it reminded me a bit of Thin Lizzy. Um, and I thought the, chor the chorus was very catchy and it reminded me of both Status Quo on Fleetwood Mac. And then I realised that that's because it sounds quite a lot like that song Don't Stop, which is a Fleetwood Mac song, uh, which was, I believe, covered by Status Quo mm. uh, later on. So, yeah, it's that type of thing. I think Status Quo is probably quite quite a similar band in, ter in terms of the, the level of heaviness and the influence. Like, you know, it's rock, but it's not quite hard rock. They've got a bluesy influence, but they're also very commercial and radio friendly. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what it uh, did for me. This one, it was, yeah, I also heard the very upbeat and kind of happy stuff. The, the guitars are huge and the rhythm section on this song really stuck out to me, showing the strength of their their quality and what they really brought to the table. I mean, I can't imagine putting me, you could put these two guys into almost any rock band and they would immediately improve that band. Mm. They're solid. Yeah, man. The When it goes into the solos, of course, you know, there's some overdubbing, but you still keep the song even without the big guitar parts. And that, that's something yeah. that really, excuse me, uh, for me, that's what really shows them as a quality, quality rhythm section that would, I mean, great rhythm section. There's a good little guitar solo on this one. Uh, this uh, this particular song sounded to me because it was so big and so huge. It's, it sounded like a, like an 80s sitcom theme song. You could have used it. Right. For, like, you know, it's without your love, you know, you, this could have been, you know, there's there's about a million 80s sitcoms where the protagonist is trying to, you know, court a woman, and, you know, the romantic tension that's, you know, there could have been, a, there could yeah. have been many called without your love and this could have been the song, so. Makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, okay, so let's move on. So we've now got Counting on You, um, which I this album too i might point out say again a lot of apostrophe albums yes absolutely yeah we had uh what what was it falling with the apostrophe and now counting on you yes absolutely i thought this sounded a bit almost like a lighter version of early white snake and i thought that michael bolton's voice sounded very david coverdale-esque he's going a bit lower he's doing that deeper soulful rock thing um yeah, again, radio friendly AOR. I thought it reminded me a bit of Dire Straits, um, who I've got a, a bit of a soft spot for. Actually, I do like Dire Straits. Soft spot for Dire Straits. That's good. That's good. And there's a classic rock style solo that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's it's catchy as they as they all are really. Oh yeah, to me this one this was the first song. I mean that I, I wrote down disco because this is right. this one is a little bit more disco adjacent. If it's it's disco adjacent, if it's not pure disco, the the bass line is the focus on this one. The guitars, you know, the accent to the melodic bass. So, you know, there's some some lush harmonies on this one, and again, this is another fully formed song by a very young band that has created this huge song. You said the guitar solo was a little classic Rocky. To me, and I, what I wrote was, I heard a little Ace Freely in that song. Okay, yeah. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. I don't imagine Ace Frehley was in on the sessions, but he was a very, very big person in that time frame. So, totally, totally. Yeah. All right. So, as we're getting towards the end of the album, um, number eight, I'm aware of your love. Now, what an awful song title. It's just so clunky to me i'm aware of your love it's just like the least romantic thing you could possibly say to anybody it's just i don't know that's just that really stood out as a horrendous song title to me um it's and they they really do make a big thing of it because they repeat that they repeat that line that hook line a lot so i think towards the end it's repeated like 20 times or something in a row um i'm aware of your love i'm aware of your love i'm it's yeah, when you say least romantic thing you can say, I, it strikes me as saying, I'm aware, but you go over there and I'm going to hang out here and that's how this is going to be. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I no, I guess so. I, I guess so. I did, I did sort of pick up on that, but it's still, it's just so strange. I don't know. I just think that phrase... It really jars. It just sounds odd. But, but yeah, I, th I think that's what it's meant to be. Um, yeah. So what did you think of the, of the song anyway? Uh, good intro. It's upbeat, mm -hmm. which is weird. I mean, everything is upbeat and some of this stuff is kind of a, a, an attempt at, you know, more serious emotional thinking, lyrically anyway. The, the bass line on this one is great. It's, it's groovy. It's funky. It's fun. The, the chorus is just, it's just awful. I mean, it's a, a bad, this is the one thing, the one song that I would say almost, if there were a low point on this album, it would probably be this song for me because the chorus, the repetition of the chorus and him screaming, I'm aware of your love, I'm aware of your love, just doesn't work for me at all. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's overdone, it's overcooked. No, I agree. This is the one song where Michael Bolton is the weak link rather than the MVP. Because he, yeah. else to me, he is the MVP of this album because his vocals are that strong and that amazing. His lyrics aren't always great or ever great, but he sings them with conviction and he pushes through and that's what matters. Especially at this time frame, it doesn't matter what you say. I mean, Ace Freely, six months before this album comes out, has a hit called I'm In Need Of Love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's not... I mean, lyrically speaking, nothing was great at this time, so. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah, man. Okay, so, yeah, and there's quite a, quite a nice sort of feel-good, uh, upbeat guitar solo in that one um, as well. So, the second to last, the, the penultimate track on here is called For You. Um, another rock ballad. Um, I thought it was, again, a bit reminiscent of White Snake. Um, but it's also got a bit of Southern rock going on as well. And I thought it reminded me a bit of the faces, that kind of, um, that sort of Rod Stewart swagger. I could hear that in uh, Michael Bolton's voice. Um, and it, yeah, and it reminded me a bit of early Black Crows, which were obviously, there are 10 years later that they released their first album, but they were also very influenced by the faces and uh, and stuff. So yeah, I don't know what you what you thought about this one. I didn't write it down, but I remember thinking a lot about it. I'm hearing a lot of what becomes White Snake down the road. Because I believe at this point, uh, Coverdale was still in Deep Purple, wasn't he? 
Um, no, he would have been. No, I think they would have uh, done a couple of White Snake records, but the, the early White Snake stuff, I'll double check. But I believe it was maybe like seventy-five, even when they first did oh. did a White Snake. Oh no, no, no! Sorry, uh, sorry, I'm I'm wrong. Seventy-eight. So they might have done one album. So actually, yeah, it's not quite as stark as that. But yeah, they've done like probably one to two. They've done one in seventy-eight and one in seventy-nine. By this, and he'd done his solo one, which was called White Snake, two words. So, yeah, they'd done kind of two two albums, sort of thing. With, uh, with, with White Snake, I'm always, and I don't think about early White Snake very often, but whenever I, whenever I look at it and see how long that's been going on, I'm routinely surprised that it's, it's mm. always, but. But yes, there's definitely a lot of White Snake going on. It's a very emotional song. They're ginning up the feelings. You know, we hear some nice flashes from Bruce Kulick on this one. It's just another, just another emotional love ballad from the 70s. It's well written, well performed, well done. Yes. No, yeah, that's it. That's it. And then we are on the final track, Heart of Mine, which is more rock and roll than any of the songs so far. Um, upbeat, feel good, rock and roll, I've put. And, and uh, Michael Bolton is really letting loose. Um, his soulful voice is, is coming out. Um, you know, I think he talks about being very influenced by soul singers more than rock singers, um, even when he was doing his rock stuff at this time. Yeah, so it's a bit Otis Redding-esque. Um, catchy chorus, a catchy guitar solo as well. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know what your, your thoughts are on this one. You know, it's... I noticed that this song felt different than the rest of them, and there isn't exactly a great uniformity on this album. It's another one of those where they're kind of dipping their toes into a lot of different pools, trying to figure out who they are and find their identity. Because it, it's important to remember that in the late 60s, early 70s, not so much the late 70s, but at that time, the record labels would give a band three albums, sometimes even four, in order to prop them up and find mm -hmm. their sound and get them huge. It, it took Kiss to their fourth album before they broke. The door, you know, it's that's not uncommon. Leonard Skinner wasn't a giant success when they released Pronounced. Sometimes it took a little while. Yeah, for and sure. One, for sure. This one felt, and that, so it makes sense that this band is together, and everything here is very radio friendly. So that's that's the one common denominator. But you know, there's a little southern in it. There's a little disco in it. There's a little soft rock in it. There's a little hard rock in it. This one struck me as more like meatloaf than anything else. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that does make some sense. You know, Michael Bolton can't sing as well as meatloaf, but nobody can, but he does have the power of meatloaf, the ability to sound huge. And then of course, you know, Bruce Kulick had just spent two years touring with meatloaf. So there's probably going to be some residue there. You know, another good song it's, you know, it's, it is, it is what it is, like everything else on this album. It's a little bit different than everything else. It's a little bit the same as everything else at the same time. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, yeah, so look, that that's it. That's the album. And um, I thought it was a strong album. Um, I think it's well worth listening to. Um, you know, it's going to depend what you like. Obviously, this is the Department of Metal Antiquities. You know, it's not quite 
metal, certainly not by today's standards. It's not even quite hard rock. But if you're into classic rock, as it is now called, then I think there's a lot to like here. And um, I think this, this probably has been slightly unfairly overlooked considering who's on it and how strong the songs are, how strong the production is and how tight and strong the actual bands are and, and how good uh, Michael Bolton's singing is as well. So yeah, if you're a fan of classic rock, I would say check it out, get it on YouTube while you still can, because um, it costs quite a lot to buy a physical copy. Um, yeah, a good, a good album, a bit cheesy for me in places, but really good at what, it, what it's trying to do. It, for me, I felt this album was important to go back and listen to because of who was a part of it. With Bruce Kulick yes. being on it, with Michael Bolton being on it. Everybody knew, you know, the, the Michael Bolton-Bruce Kulick partnership didn't end even after the next album, which was the last of Blackjack. They did a solo, Michael Bolton did a solo album with Bruce playing all the music as well. But, you know, in the during the KISS conventions in the 90s, they talked about the Michael Bolton partnership. It was never a secret, but it was so short and so fast that, I don't think anybody noticed. And, you know, this is, this is these guys in the minors. And it's, you know, the way in my sum up, it's like watching TJ Oshie play hockey at University of North Dakota and not winning the Stanley Cup for the Capitals. Like Roman Polak winning or playing uh, hockey in Peoria, Illinois for the Rivermen and not the Blues. I mentioned those two specifically because I saw both of those things. Um, hmm. Hmm. And I, I saw... Oh. He played for the national title in college, and I saw Roman Polak play his minor league, a couple minor league games in Peoria, Illinois, while I was there. So it's very easy to see that Michael Bolton is going to go somewhere because there is a lot of talent in that man's body. As, totally. as, as we saw over the years, he is not going to be. Sorry if I'm, if you can hear my sniffing, I, my allergies are killing me, but it's it's not always my favorite kind of thing that he does, but you know, this is, it's not metal. I was hoping it would be heavier when I bought it originally. I was hoping there'd be a bit more edge to it, knowing what Bruce Kulick went on to be, but this is a good melding of these two people. And it's a little Yacht Rocky, a little AOR, a little classic rock, a little Southern rock and a little disco. It really is. Yeah, totally. It, it's not a bad album by any stretch. It's just don't, you just got to make sure you got your expectations dialed to the right frequency. I think that's uh, totally right. I think that's totally right. Yeah. Okay. Well, worth checking out. And that's about all I've got on this one. That's all I have. It's it's a fun album. It's neat to hear. Because, you know, when when you... It's fun for me to hear the growth of the artists that I like. Yeah. For sure. So to be able to go back to Bruce Kulick's first album that nobody remembers and nobody's heard, it's cool for me. Totally. Totally. All right. And until next week, I am Nick Cameron. Yeah, and I'm Duncan Evans. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>